When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. We have a very special show today. It's been a crazy week for hip-hop in a good way, finally. You know, after a really hard April, May has brought some of the best news yet of 2021. You know, a lot of us thought there was going to be a Kendrick Lamar album last week. That did not materialize, but Isaiah Rashad is coming after a long hiatus. And seemingly kind of seasoned on the moment, the day that that news broke, J. Cole announced to the world that he was coming with his album on May 14th, and he has delivered in a major, major way. So today's going to be dedicated to reviewing the album song by song. Jake and I have both talked about not doing hot takes and like, you know, letting albums breathe. And we tried our best to honor that. You know, I've listened to the album four times today um read through the lyrics extensively i know jake has been studying as well and so you know our plan is to really talk about this comprehensively in a way that actually kind of frames it so let's kick it off by talking about some themes in the album first so what are some of the themes that kind of struck you you know j cole you know the off season is a term we usually hear about with sports, and you know anybody that's that's paid attention to J. Cole knows that you know from from the warm up there's always been a heavy sports presence in his imagery and in his grind. I have to say that I didn't realize just how crazy about basketball and competitive Cole is until this album. I think to me that is the A one theme, um, and yeah, I mean with that. I think he compares himself to great athletes and you get to a certain point. Um, J. Cole's 36 years old. We are 10 years removed from his first album. Um, you know, great mixtape catalog since and before that. And I think that, you know, he seems very concerned about legacy and also what the future looks like. So it kind of reminds me of, you know, an MVP level athlete, at a contract renegotiation when they're not sure, you know, what the future looks like, different team play on retire. Um, and I think Cole signed the contract. What about well, you? If you're going to go basketball, um, I'm going to go with, with, with MJ, Michael Jordan, you know, MJ completely repatterned his game after his first retirement. He went from being a slasher and dunker and super athletic player to, a player who could, you know, do that if he needed to, but really start to rely on fadeaway jumpers and post-up game and a much more mature, uh, you know, conserving your energy mental game for a player. And with Cole, I see him having flexed a lot of different flows. You know, he has armed himself with a lot of different cadences with this album and he showcases them all. You know, when he started off early on, even, you know, pre-warm-up, he had a very, you know, straightforward, like, you know, aggressive flow. And then over the years, he started to add some singing in it. He, he uh, added melody. 
And with this one, he brings it all together and he added a couple new tools too. And I think I got a theory on that, but I'm, I'm gonna wait to talk about it. Yeah, so I mean, we definitely agree on the sports thing. I think, you know, with that, this idea of training, you know, he, um, as he's done before, he released a, a documentary even before we got the music, apart from, you know, the first, uh, the, the single last week. And now that the album is in our hands, you know, proverbially, we also know that last year we got a song, which is about the earliest rollout on a single that I can remember. And I, I like that. Again, that kind of speaks into like playing the game a little bit different than most. But, you know, this is about training and staying sharp. And it was wild to see a few things in that documentary. There were some great kind of revelations about, you know, 2016 and J. Cole returning to this, this studio that he had used before in New York. But on this one, you know, he's a guy with a family and how he's balancing being an A-list, you know, hip hop, not only MC, but producer, running a label. But also, you know, one of the things that he really stands for is being you know, a father to his kids and a husband to his wife. So it's interesting that that kind of duality there. Yeah, you know, speaking of that Applying Pressure documentary, which is only 12 minutes, encourage everybody to check it out. He's had this tradition, which I love, of before every album releasing uh, footage of himself, kind of documenting his process. And this one, like you said, went back several years. You know, I think one of the things he, he showed in that was that he uses tricks to keep, keep himself hungry. You know, uh, he talked about, I can't remember what basketball player it was, but he talked about, uh, oh, actually it was Pharrell. He was talking about Pharrell and Pharrell said he schedules time in the studio deliberately every day so that he knows that that's game time, you know, and other time you can spend with family and things like that. But in that, you know, period, whatever it is, nine to five or whatever, he's coming with supreme focus. And so Cole did things like challenge himself to write a verse every single day you know he'd wake up and you know first thing he did was to, to write a verse so to have a, a rapper that hungry it's almost you know going back to the basketball analogy it's almost like the established superstar returning back to the dunk contest to compete with the young guys you know uh, Cole is you know impressive in his need to continue to show that he is you know if not the best one of the best and I, I don't even think he would qualify it by his generation at this point. I think he would he would put himself on the list, period. And that's the thing we'll get into that recurs throughout the album. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely the two two bigger themes that jump out at me. Is there anything that, you know, is kind of a stone in the sand for you? Well, you talked about, and I'd love for you to get into this, but some of the parallels with Illmatic. Yeah, um, it's interesting to me, and I'm not trying to sit here and you know, you, as we talked about in a recent episode, you have a way of studying albums that's different than I do. I've never really looked for, you know, the MacGuffin or this, this thing, you know, it's like uh, some of those movies are really like mind fucks. And I think that you're really good at that on the cerebral level with albums. I go off of feel, but one of the things I've noticed, I mean, J. Cole has documented, um, you know, a, a very high, influence and opinion of Nas um you know I think Cole was one of the first people I heard if I'm not mistaken that said it was written as his favorite album obviously he released the song Let Nas Down which you know spoke about having that huge opinion only to learn that you know this person you look up to isn't feeling your first single but this album right here the off season excuse me it's 39 minutes long 
Illmatic is 39 minutes long. You pointed out something interesting to me is, you know, when you play Illmatic, uh, Nas is not the first voice that you hear. That's yeah. not the, the first talk- thing you hear is a sample of um, Wild Style. And I think it's, it's AZ talking about over it. But then you get some voices talking about Nas and really kind of lamenting the sorry state of hip hop and how it needs him to kind of come in and save things. And the first thing you hear on Cole's album is a really surprising cameo. Mm. And that's Killer Cam, you know, Cameron, um, talking about how you know people aren't ready and that Cole is just going to smash folks. Like, I, I thought that was amazing. And But, you know, so similar themes of like, the game's in a sorry state and they need you to come and like save it basically. Yeah. And I mean, I think at least definitely one place, but I want to say two, maybe three times Cole, you know, uses Vilmatic, you know, which is, you know, slang for being from Fayetteville and, you know, having this, this incredible talent, um, you know, and it's interesting too, because, you know, we'll talk about this as we get into the songs, but one of J Cole's greatest strides in my opinion was breaking from, trying to appease his heroes you know we spoke about this in the last episode of you know I I feel in some ways J. Cole signing to Rock Nation at a time when everyone was trying to see what that label was going to do on the hip-hop side I think it made him get a little bit you know lost in the lights to use a sports analogy and somewhere between Born Sinner and you know 2014 Forest Hills Drive Cole did this thing where he just shook that became his own person and started bucking trends, you know, not using features being one of them, um, you know, just flat out, like you said, being more comfortable with singing and melody. Um, I always feel that more than anyone in his league, J. Cole never chases radio. He never chases a hit. They kind of just come to him, Michael Jordan analogy on the game. Um, So it's interesting with this one to see maybe a loose, association with Illmatic, but it definitely went through my mind there. And I was like, hmm, you know, well, and uh, oh, can I say one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. You know, and, and I mean, this is this, this is merely just overlapping, you know, circumstance. But Illmatic is one of those albums where Halftime dropped in 92, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you got elements of that album long before you got the whole thing. And I don't mean to read too much into it, but, you know, um, the climb back, you know, was in our hands for almost a year before we have this body of work that now it fits into. Yeah, so a couple other parallels to Illmatic. Um, one is that on song number three, you get your first feature on Illmatic, and it's AZ, the trusted collaborator, and he smashes it, right? They sound amazing together. You know, they go on to do the firm. They've got a real chemistry. Uh, and on this one, on song number three, you get 21 Savage, who I think fits that bill with Cole, too, especially with the work they did on a lot. And we'll get, get into that in a minute. But, you know, I thought that was interesting that the first feature um, and the nature of that feature, you know, matched up on song number three. The second thing, you know, as people start to, to dig in their bag and say, you guys are really reaching here, <laughs> is that I'll say on um, the first song on, on this, Cole, on 95 South, Cole talks about, uh, you know, sleep being the cousin of death. And of course, on the first true song, you know, not interlude, but first true song, uh, New York State of Mind, Nas is, you know, says, I never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. So if we haven't been convincing thus far, you know, and we're talking about exclamation points here, uh, <laughs> I think that is 
certainly an exclamation point worth uh, considering. But going back to your point about Cole not chasing radio singles, he did chase a radio single uh, on um, a workout. I think, and I think that was your point. That, that, to me, that was his first one. And there was a ton yeah. of pressure on him. And I actually had a conversation. So J. Cole is special to me because back in 2009, I think it was, when the warm-up dropped, it saved, it, it, it is what made me come back to hip-hop because I wasn't feeling what was going on. I didn't see anybody being super lyrical or anything like that. And that got me to come back and actually kind of planted the seeds for him, bros for heads. It really started to get me to dig and want to be able to share with other people the fact that the culture was still living on in the way that I, I knew and loved it. Um, but I, you know, I worked with him, you know, a fair amount when I was at BT, and we had him on a showcase at South by Southwest one year. And this was post warm up, I think even post Friday Night Lights. And, you know, he was afterwards, he was kind of like, you know, seemed a little down because there was so much pressure to find this first single and it, and it just could, couldn't come up with it. And I had a conversation with him and I told him the story I just told you about, you know, just knowing who he is to not just me, to many people, like he's the guy, you know, that is, is, you know, we see him as almost a hip hop savior. Not to, I didn't say it in a way to add pressure, but to give him confidence and remind him of who he is, you know, um, and was. And then years later, we all know how the story plays out, right? They chase the radio single in the first one. It's met with moderate success, and he doesn't really step into his own until he gets rid of features. He stops chasing radio with 2014 Forest Hills Drive and comes out with a masterpiece. And that, that to me, is when Cole really came into his own. It was, two, it was three albums in. So I feel you on that. Um, and, and, and I guess the last thing that I would say is that throughout this album he has a chip on his shoulder and in the LA Lakers freestyle he had earlier this week he clearly had that chip and I kind of think in listening to this the way it plays out the themes uh, the aggression that this is a mixtape in disguise you know he went back to the days of the warm-up in terms of his preparation and the things that he did to actually make the album and I think that he went in with mixtape mode and he came out with a mixtape in the best possible way but what do you think about that? You sell it really well. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, that, that sounds good to me. The, the album listens to me like an album, not a mixtape, but I think cool has been one of those artists that, you know, sort of like a crit, the lines blur because his mixtapes are just that good. If anything, they give him a little bit of creative Liberty that maybe an album can't um, to me, you know, it's interesting. J Cole is, is a, is a year to the month younger than I am. And it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I see a guy who's at the crossroads of family and passions and, you know, his passions are more than music, they're music and basketball. You know, this week, uh, the undefeated reported that J. Cole has signed with the Rwandan basketball team, you know, pro over, over, you know, in the continent of Africa, continent of Africa. So, you know, this is a guy who still is a dreamer, who still has these passions but I feel like he's also shaking himself from this sense of, of pressure. I, you know, he talks about being his own critic in at least two places on the album, like being a really worse critic. And I feel like part of this album is a statement of like, I'm going to give you this. I'm really giving myself this. And I know what I'm going to do next. Cause one of the things that's interesting about this is, you know, after KOD, 
you know, he had announced that it was the intro to the fall off, like an upcoming album, which was a really cool kind of marketing tool. And, you know, I didn't pay it enough mind, but late last year, he posted a sheet of paper on the studio that listed features, the off season, it's a boy, and then the fall off, basically telling us what he was going to do. It's like when you see, you know, the villain in the movie long before they they put handcuffs on him. Um, And I feel like he's living out this plan in real time that ultimately allows him to do whatever he wants to do. And then again, I, I come back to the sports thing of like, judge me on this. This one's for legacy. This one, I'm going for the ring and, you know, and, and, and judge my stats from there. That's, that's kind of how I take it. It's not retirement. And he told slam magazine in a cover story, the first rapper um, or hip hop artist to ever, ever be alone on the cover. This is not about retirement, but this is about giving him space to maybe not do this every day. Yeah, that post is dope. Like, I, I want to go back and check that out because that's ill. Like, he's following that bl- blueprint to the letter. Let me ask you, though, what do you think is the difference between a mixtape and an album? Because I want to make sure that we're, we're talking about the same thing. For me, um, when you started, when you go back to, like, 2010 or so, or maybe even, like, 2003 or so, starting with 50, um, the only difference between a mixtape and an album is that one is for sale and one is for free. That's the only difference to me. There are there have been phenomenal um, mixtapes like um, you know Rick Ross, um, Albert Anastasia, yeah, uh, and, that- and Rich Forever. Okay, uh, Rich Forever. Um, you know uh, J Cole's Friday Night Lights, Big Crits. You know Crit was here. Some people consider Section Eighty to be a mixtape. You know Cushion OJ from Wiz Khalifa, Acid Rap. Yeah, yeah, they're some of the best bodies of work period in rap over the last 10, 15 years have been mixtapes. It's just that they've been given away for free. I think part of it though, is that um, the pressure you talked about is taken off and there is no like thought about a single or, you know, need to like have a unifying theme or anything like that. It's really just doing it for the love and aggression. And it's often dominated with themes of like, I'm the best. And, you know, um, and so I think that that fits the bill here for Cole, which is why I say it's a mixtape in disguise. hundred percent. And I'm really glad you said that because to me, I, I interpret it as, you know, a little bit of, of that, that free formness, but also like, this is for, you know, the hip hop heads. And while that is a true element of this album, Cole doesn't, you know, he doesn't tuck back his singing, his melody and some of the things that he's always done. I mean, he, this is, this is still the total package in my opinion, but Based on what you just said, I agree with that statement. Word. Okay, cool. So you ready to get into it? Track by track. Let's do it. Bust it up, man. Yeah. All right, cool. So first song is 95 South. You know, he did this LA Leakers freestyle early in the week, which we wrote about. I personally thought it is the best freestyle so far of 2021. And he has a line uh, at the end of his first verse, which is over Souls of Mischief, 93 to infinity saying he's the hardest thing out of the South since slavery. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> and then after he raps it, he says it just for emphasis again. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of people look at Cole as almost like an East Coast type of rapper based on the style, his affiliation with Nas, his signing with Jay. Um, but, you know, I think statements like that and the themes on 95 South, where he's got, you know, in addition to Cameron, and, but Little John too, 
show that he's truly married to both. Yes, he's got New York roots with St. John's and things like that, but he's repping his South, uh, Southern flag very uh, proudly and loudly. And, you know, I think it's something that's also come across with his signings too. You know, uh, he signed you know, Boss from New York, you know, I think Brooklyn. Queens, yeah. Queens. He's got Earth Gang and Jid too. So, you know, he is truly you know, up and down the corridor, you know, and I think this song speaks to that very loudly. Yeah, Lute from uh, Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I like that. And, you know, it's interesting. Last year, I spent a night in Fayetteville. And, you know, I feel like the term East Coast is often just used to describe like New York, Philly and Boston, you know, maybe DC too. But I like this. And, and I interpreted the title to be a reminder of his influences. And being this guy who was proudly from the South, but you know, North Carolina is different like that. I mean, the climate, the culture, um, it's, it's very much like mid-Atlantic, but also, you know, there's Waffle Houses everywhere and, you know, long complicated history, you know, on the, on the racial side too. Um, and I liked it, you know, Little John is, is Atlanta and Atlanta's not on 95 South, but it, 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 it shows, it stakes a flag for the South, but it also, the fact that it's Cameron and it's like a Rockefeller sounding Cameron to me just was like a callback to what J. Cole must have really thought of rap music and hip hop, you know, when he was a freshman or a sophomore in high school and it captures that love. And again, let's get deep. You know, you're wearing a red shirt. I'm wearing a blue shirt. We could get all matrixy with it. <laughs> but for what Wild Style must have been for Nas, you know, Nas was around, you know, coming of age and uses Wild Style at the intro to Illmatic. J. Cole, you know, a few years older, is coming of age with Just Blaze era Rockefeller and Rep Your Hood, Little John and the East Side Boys. So it's a flash of that, of that ignition of why you love this and why you do this. Yeah, and there's another nod to Rockefeller with the beat itself. It uh, sounds to me like it's got elements of an interpolation of You Don't Know, yeah. which is classic Jay-Z from, you know, um, Blueprint. Blueprint. I don't think that's 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 an accident. Um, and the little John presence was also reminiscent to me of like um, like three six mafia, like it's real crunk and turned up. And you know, I think this this song just fuses both um, both regions together in, a, in, a, in, a, in an amazing way. Yeah, I mean, little John was a bit of a surprise to me because you know I think we often expect like a Bun B in this role, or you know even a Big Boy, or, or you know, and Cool could do it like a Andre Three Thousand. But I like that it was Little John because Little John, you know, was a DJ as well as a rapper, and Little John is one of those artists that stood at the intersection of what was going on, you know, Texas, Memphis, Miami. Like he is the South and was very much part of that so it was a it was a really cool place to start and i love the end of the song where they really kind of cut into uh you know rep your hood yeah and interesting that the production is from boy wonder too because it doesn't sound like a typical boy wonder track to me but uh you know throughout this album we'll get into this drake uh he he actually uh j cole works with a lot of people uh that drake has worked with over the years and, mm -hmm. and that, that i think that's interesting too yeah, that's a point I didn't even realize. When I first heard the song, I assumed that it was Just Blaze. I mean, you expect Just to talk on his records, but, you know, he's been in his bag this year, and, and that joint victory for Vic Mensa was insane. And uh, to me, it's funny in our notes that you and I kind of collaboratively prep before these conversations, we both 100% agreement on the You Don't Know tip. Yeah, we're... 
All right, so next song, Amari, you want to kick it off for that? Yeah, um, you know, it's definitely cool. And, and one of his themes on this album, too, and it's a sub theme, it's not as big as what we've talked about. But, you know, he speaks about being broke, like, and I think that's an important reminder is like, you know, going back to the hunger um, in the documentary, he talks about, you know, finishing college, kind of waiting on somebody to sign him, believing he had the talent as an athlete. He was a walk on at St. John's, you know, for their basketball team. But this this point where your dreams start to dissolve a little bit and you kind of get tested. And, you know, this record is him kind of retelling that story into now, you know, he's become this this the self-made mogul and we'll talk about the production in a second but you know you tell me what you thought of the theme of this one yeah so this one you know so a 95 south he comes out swinging right aggressive putting the game on notice as to who he is and like you know he's tired of being underestimated and he's got that mixtape flow on this one like straight out he comes with a completely different flow one that i've never heard j cole flex before it's sing-songy and, you know, clearly the, the melodic effects on it. And to me, it sounds almost like Roddy Rich, which is crazy. Um, you know, so clearly adapting to the trends of today, but he does it in a way like he did on KOD, where it doesn't feel like he's chasing the trend and trying to be something he's not. He takes it and adapts his own style to it and, you know, keeps it lyrical. But I thought it was amazing to have that stark of a contrast. And I'm sure it was intentional. You know, we always talk about how important sequencing is. I think this is designed to open us up and let us know that this album is not going to be predictable. That And it yeah. gives him the full range to do whatever he's going to do because the two styles couldn't be more different. Wasn't it Quincy Jones that said, you know, you put your best records to the top of an album? Uh, I'm not sure, but it sounds I, 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 I think so. And, and I'm <laughs> sure at some point over his career, Q said that. But I, I, I think that J. Cole starts this album you know the first three four songs are impeccable i mean i I, overall no surprises here i really like this album but he has a knack for grabbing attention and this one doesn't have maybe as tight of a narrative as kod would so you get a little bit more liberty but the way he packed it in is crazy and um you know amari is one of those songs so cole you mentioned working with some of drake's folks um timberland is one you know who has history there but it, it's interesting that this is a production with Tim. It calls on it, some other people. It doesn't sound at all like a Timberland beat to me. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm wondering, you know, I always wonder when I see a bunch of producers like that, who did what. Yeah. The only thing that sounds t- like Timberland to me is the drums. You know, I, I think the heavy drums could have been Tim. and But, but I have no, I don't know uh kooky um uh, i don't know as yeah we pronounce it and t minus in addition to cole i don't know Skooky style and, and what you yeah. know he brings to the table so yeah but it, it sounds completely different than anything cole has done and i found it to be super super dope like the song a lot um the next one um definitely is another kind of easter egg for early 2000s hip-hop heads it's called my life um most notably, you know, towards the end of the song, it reworks The Life by Styles P and Feral Monch, which, um, again, I'm a year older than Cole, but that song was hitting so much in my freshman year of college. I remember we'd sit in the cafeteria and that would play on a loop on the TV, it felt like. And um, so, again, he, that means he was a senior in high school, I would imagine. 
and to rework that. And he does so with a singer from his hometown named, I hope I'm saying it right, Maury. Um, and sort of like the way that TDE, um, you know, has dropped kind of a pathway of breadcrumbs to working people. I, I believe, you know, there's, there was a long history with Isaiah Rashad before, you know, he was ever officially an artist. Um, Moray is from uh, Fayetteville and Cole had been commenting on his, I believe IG might've been his SoundCloud for a while of like encouraging him. So to now take it to the next level of giving this guy a really important moment at the top, towards the top of an album is huge. You know, it's also, and this is, you know, I'm bearing the lead, but it's, it, this is the song that deviates from Cole's feature streak. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this before, you know, song number three is a song where he had his first feature and it's 21 Savage. And these are two artists who I would have never thought belonged on a record together, maybe three, four years ago. But then when 21 Savage came out with a lot from his last album, I thought it was brilliant. I thought they both sounded at home on the track, even though they're, they're very different stylistically and, and thematically in, kind of in terms of the things they discussed. Cole blacked out on that record. I thought it was one of his best of his, like, you know, just red hot future run. And, um, you know, so it was cool that he tapped uh, 21 Savage to do a feature for him too. And to break the spell, the spell goes all the way back to, um, uh, I think it was uh, uh, actually Cold World, the sideline story, is the last time he had someone rap a verse. And it was Drake wow. on that. He had features on Born Center. But even if you remember, like on um, um, uh, Forbidden Fruit, Kendrick was ad-libbing. He didn't actually rap, which was like a major disappointment for folks. So it's, you know, it's sneaky. Like, cause you think, ah, oh, you know, he had features on Forbidden Fruit, but he hasn't had a rapper rapping since Cold World. Yeah. And that was Drake. So to have, you know, what, like uh, four albums pass for that to, uh, you know, before he had a feature and for it to be 21 Savage who breaks that streak. Yeah. I thought it was pretty amazing. And, you know, I'm wondering if, you know, that, that you know tour of features was also auditions for cole um you know and, and i That's think dope. he may have been studying and also maybe auditioning folks to see okay who do i sound best on a record with and that's that might have been why and they use the same formula that they did in a lot where real soulful sample um you know kind of mid-tempo beat um so yeah i, I thought that was really interesting you know, it, Cole brings out the absolute best in 21 Savage. And, and let's not forget either. I mean, Cole won his first Grammy, if I'm not mistaken, because of a lot, which came after, you know, a giant perceived snub for KOD. Certainly, I think it was a snub. Um, and, you know, 21 Savage has put out a lot of music since a lot. And, you know, I try. He really grabbed my attention with that song and, and we put it on AFH. Um, but 21 Savage has also continued to do what he did prior to a lot. Like he appeases his base. That said, I think that, you know, something about when these two guys are together, they make incredible music, which to your point, I mean, Nas and AZ have as special a chemistry as two artists. Obviously they have a group later, but you know, those features that those two guys have done together are a discography of their own of just greatness and, you know, I would not be one, one bit disappointed as somebody who's newish to the 21 Savage party, you know, far more recently than Drake or than, than Cole to see these two guys, you know, do more work together. 
Yeah, and, and you talked about this earlier in terms of Cole laying out for his for us what his game plan was. He talks about the fall off on this, and he says, after the fall off, I promise I'm coming to sell out Wrigley's, which I thought was really, really interesting because, you know, the fall off, you know, to, um, you know, the layperson might seem like that's going to be his retirement, but to your point, he's not, he's not a believer in that. Instead, he's saying the fall off is going to bring his biggest heights. He's going to be stadium status after the fall off. So I wonder what he has planned uh, for that album to, to take him to that next level. But it's also, like, again, another nod in comparison to, you know, um, Kanye and Jay, who both done stadiums. Uh, you know, well, Kanye says stadium status, but Jay has done stadiums with Eminem, you know. And so Cole is clearly not just going for Kendrick and Drake. He's going for the greats and, and trying to achieve that stadium status. You know, it's so funny, too. I kept thinking of Kanye because, first of all, it's Wrigley. That's Chicago. Um, and, you know, not for nothing, I, I almost went to Wrigley for the Pirates opener in April. And, you know, that's not a huge stadium. You and I attended um, J. Cole at the Barclays Center, you know, one of the best concerts in recent memory. And I think he did two or three nights there. And it was, you know, every seat was full. So he's already at stadium status. But I thought of Kanye, too, because Kanye, early in his career, we knew after graduation, the next album was supposed to be Good Ass Job. And we never got it. You know, you and I talked recently about never getting, you know, these albums that live in infamy that never come out. I believe Cool at his word. Um, I believe that, that, you know, the fall off will come and whatever It's a Boy is, besides the Slick Rick song, I believe that's going to come out, too. Um, it, it's so refreshing to see an artist deliver on their vision, even if they deviate at times. So I wonder why he chose Wrigley because he's not from Chicago. And part of me was like, is he doing what Kanye didn't? I know I'm reading into it too much, but it's fun to think about those things. Yeah. And you talk about it's a boy that could have been literal, right? Cause he has a son. So he might've just been mapping out his life beyond just his music on that one. That's very true. That's very, very true. But you know, another thing. So, you know, we talked about this being the first feature um, of a rapper that he's had in many albums, you know, in that applying pressure documentary that he put out, he talked about why he started doing the features. And he was basically like, do I want, is that what I want my legacy to be that I never rap with anybody? No. So, you know, why am I doing this? Let me go out and start like making it happen. And, you know, he had, he, he picked a variety of different people. He didn't go to the, the standard people you would think like who matches style. He went to people who wouldn't necessarily mesh and had very different audiences, very strategic because he's expanding his base. He's also learning their style and, and method of working, how they ride beats and, and cadences and, and, and applying that to his game. It's almost like the summertime, you know, going back to the off season when a lot of these NBA's players play pickup games with one another and it's fun, but they're also studying each other for the season. So I think that, you know, it continues that. Um, and so the next song is applying pressure. Um, great segue. Uh, again, I think very intentional. And so Cole, um, you know, this is the purest display that I've seen of his, of disdain for the disrespect that people have for him um, in a long time. You know, he is very clear that he's aware of his perception. I think that most people put Kendrick and Drake, you know, kind of at the top of the heat and they're very different artists. One is the commercial king, one is the artistic king, one could argue. And Cole never kind of fits in that. You and I talked about that last week. He's kind of like the Lionel Richie to 
um, you know, their Michael and Prince. I personally think he may be the Tim Duncan to their Kobe and Jordan, a guy who like just gets it done the big fundamental, wins the rings, but doesn't get the accolades. And he talks super, super greasy for the last like, you know, minute or so of this track, just about how, like, you know, how many times does he have to stand in people's faces and show them he can do what they can't do. And it almost sounded like he was talking about those features too, but anybody else who wanted who wanted smoke, he was letting them know, like, you don't want it. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and it, it's that that to me is my favorite aspect of Cole. This is applying pressure is easily in my top three songs on the album. Um, and I love when he just kind of goes off the rails and really speaks his mind. He did that on Fire Squad so eloquently, and I thought said a lot of things that we're talking about culturally now. You know, years before it came to the table. And I like the fact he makes a line in there of, you know, he wishes rappers were comfortable about rapping, about being broke. And, you know, we often call J. Cole the everyman. I know we say it about Kendrick, too. But he kind of makes a charge of, you know, instead of saying that you did this or did that, just be who you are. That's far more interesting than faking. And, you know, that message has always existed in hip hop. But somehow it just the way he drops in, I really liked it right now. Yeah, I mean, he talks about that's who he was in 2008. So, you know, everybody got to start somewhere. Um, just be true to who you are. Look where it got him. Yeah, and, you know, throughout this throughout this album, in certain places, you know, Cole talks about his M's and, you know, he's got an entire joint on there, uh, you know, 100 million. Um, you and I spent some time recently talking about whether Nas, you know, was in the right or was it corny talking about, you know, Crypto Scarface. I, I really, and, and you might use this against me for pumping the brakes a little bit on Nas. I'm not the least bit upset with J. Cole for flexing, especially financially, because, you know, his, his wealth and his income and his companies are things that he built with pure intention. And um, it's just great to see it. It's a nice reminder that you can, you can be a, a mogul on a straight path. Yeah, he's also not a flashy dude. You don't see him like wearing a lot of jewelry. Uh, you know, a lot of like um, diamonds or anything like that. He dragged the Bentley through the mud, man. Yeah, you don't see him driving like crazy whips or anything. He's just, you know, he's just who he is. And, you know, that leads to the next song, which is Punching the Clock, which is very much in line with that theme of like, you know, everybody, you know, there are lots of people who have to live check to check. He he writes that he he talks about that in um, in that song. So uh, one of the flexes he has, though, in this one is he has Damian Lillard at the end on the outro. And Dame kind of breaks down the importance of the offseason to players. He says that's, that's the time where you grow, when you put in the work to change your game, to analyze, to reflect. And Cole talks a lot about that in the documentary, too, about the importance of the offseason. So this one kind of really articulates the concept behind the album and at least his mentality better than anyone. Um, but it also is interesting to me because, and this becomes a recurring theme also, you know, speaking of being true to himself, J. Cole has never rapped about himself being a gangster or, you know, someone else selling drugs or being the hardest dude in the street. Um, but here he talks quite a bit about encounters that he has with street stuff and how that affects him. And in this one, he talks about someone giving him a Glock and letting to, to shoot and he's shooting, uh, you know, and, you know, gets scared and like runs in the house. 
And then, you know, he has another line about being apprehended by the police and it leave, and, you know, the treatment he has um, is so rough that it leaves a scar on him. Um, he, he talks about it being burning like a, a cue and, and, you know, Omega Sapphire, the fraternity, part of what they do is brand themselves. So that, that's a slick reference, but it's unclear to me whether that is, is a dream sequence or not, but throughout he does have many instances where he talks about encounters that left him kind of shook and mentally scarred, if not physically so. Yeah, I mean, you know, Cole, I don't know if he uses the word police at all in this album. He uses the term 12, like at least 12 times. And, you know, it's interesting to hear, um, you know, one of the things you and I speculated last week after hearing the interlude is, you know, what is going to be the makeup of this album, you know, thematically? And in Cole's world, you know, just a, you know, a Black man in America he talks about, you know, there's, there's always what's going on with him. And there's always what, what does law enforcement doing about it? What, you know, how are they invading? How are they, you know, policing him? And I think that that's a really interesting commentary that lives throughout the body of work for 2021. Um, And it's interesting too, that, you know, he, he uses that slang for him, which to me, is is something that I didn't hear kind of in the lexicon. I don't know about you much until, you know, participating in protests and, and seeing, you know, graffiti in Philadelphia that referred to, you know, F-12 and all of that. So it's, again, it's, it's kind of, to me, a reminder that J. Cole is of the people. He understands what's going on and, um, you know, has participated in a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and you, you make reference to, um, you know, Christianity and faith and, and the cross. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, Jake Cole has punchlines throughout this album. And, you know, he tells that story, whether it's a third person story, a dream, however it happened of somebody dying over a cross. And he says, like Christ, if I if I if I have the punchline correct. And, you know, at other places in the album, um, you know, let go of my hand. Faith is definitely something that he keeps coming back to. And that's interesting. You know, at at 36, um, Jake Cole has has often spoken about a higher power, but he's not, he's not been a, you know, he's not been Lecrae. Um, so it's just, it's one of those things, like I was saying about, you know, police and 12, that, that is just, it must have been a dominant theme in his headspace. Did you read any more into it than that? Um, I didn't, but it's interesting to me because Jay-Z notably in his last two verses has had very strong references to the cross and Christ and Messiah, you know, so he had it in, the song with Nipsey Hussle on um, on um, Black Panther on, on the Fred Hammond story, yeah, and then and they also had it on uh, or, uh, uh, Jesus and the Messiah, I should say, Judas and the Messiah, and then he had it also on the the song with Nas with Khaled. You know, he talked about you know killing Christ. So it's interesting. You know, sometimes these kind of concepts get in the zeitgeist, and it's yeah. I don't know if they're listening to each other or what it is, but the other thing though I thought was notable is that. And we talked about this a little last week, the artwork, which we'll get into the burning, um, the burning basketball goal behind Cole on the artwork for the album is very much, you know, crucifix like, you yeah. know, um, so there's definitely something more to that theme. We'll probably, it'll probably start to reveal itself as we spend more time with the album, but yeah, I definitely see. No, and you're absolutely so right. I mean, you know, J. Cole's references to faith, at least on the Christianity side are very specific to, you know, the crucifixions and, and Jesus's death. And, you know, on interlude, one of the most striking bars was 
a reminder that Jesus Christ died at 33, and then the observation, which I've never made, that so did Nipsey Hussle, Nipsey Hussle and Pimp C. Um, you know, to dwell on those things, and the point you make, I think, is a brilliant one of, of that artwork. Yeah, there is absolutely something at play, even if it's um, more subconscious than we realize, but it's, it's appearing multiple places on this album. Yeah. I want to ask you a question and, and I, you know, you know, basketball as well as anyone I know and, and far better than I do. Um, is there any, you know, obviously Damian Lillard, you know, huge fan of hip hop. I might venture to say certainly the best spitter of his generation. Shaq and him can sort the rest of that out. But is there any, is there any symbolism to using him as a choice beyond just the, you know, insightful things that he says? I think so. I think you just nailed it. I mean, um, I think it is because he's at the top of his game. If you think about the parallels too, he's not really mentioned in that conversation of greats. You know, uh, you'll have people talking about LeBron, they'll talk about Durant, they'll talk about Steph, but he is often left out of that conversation and it takes ridiculous performances like what he had in the playoffs last year. And, you know, when he shifts into like Dane Dollar mode for him to get the kind of props that he deserves like day in and day out. And I think I don't think there's an accident that one, he's the best rapper and two, he's underrated mm -hmm. uh, as a basketball player. And uh, I think that that both of those things uh, play into this. I think Cole's intentional with it. Yeah, I mean, and Damian Lillard doesn't have a chip and, you know, I don't think you, me, or J. Jermaine Cole believe that a Grammy is a championship, but I don't know that J. Cole's rings reflect his performance. And also these are two guys that have two dreams and they've both gone to incredible limits to just chase those passions, you know, and, and, you know, we've posted Dame Dollar's music on the site far more than the novelty of the fact that he's an NBA star, superstar. Um, so yeah, as you say that it's kind of coming to the light a bit for me that these are, these are two guys with similar viewpoints and journeys, and they're both legends in two leagues, like Pee Wee Kirkland. Yeah, yeah, and and they're also like uh, starting to kind of get up there too. You know, they're right. not old dudes, but they're getting older. You know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So next up is a hundred mil. Um, interesting, uh, interesting song. A shift in the production sound. What what was your you know immediate takeaway or thoughts on this one? Yeah. So first of all, it was another trap beat. And, you know, so Cole started rapping on these trap beats on um, KOD with like ATM and, um, you know, uh, a couple other tracks on that. And, and I was never put off by it because, again, it didn't sound like he was trend chasing. It sounded like he was adapting his style and, if anything, showing off, showing that he could rap over anything, but put his own spin on it and make it his. And same thing here. This one is produced by him and T-minus and T-minus. Another dude has worked a lot with Drake. You know, he did uh, HYFR with, with him and Wayne. He did Moment for Life with him and Nicki. He did I'm On One, which is Drake and Khaled. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of tracks with Drake on it. So it's interesting to have him pairing up with Cole a couple times. He also did Swimming Pools with Kendrick. So, you know, Cole is starting to like play in the same pool, you know, pun intended, mm. as those guys who um, he's constantly compared with or should be even more so. Um, and it's another song, instance where he, he focuses on being true to yourself, staying true to yourself. So, you know, this is where we're starting to kind of get 
repeated uh, themes and starting to see where the album is going kind of like direction, I think. Yeah, I like that. You know, on the, the point on production, you know, J. Cole does something that I thought Rakim did in his solo career. I do. Th- I think J. Cole, I mean, he's a great producer. Some of my favorite J. Cole songs, many of them are self-produced. J. Cole often chooses beats that are not bad, but they're beats that lets the lyric shine or lets the melody shine, the melody, the vocal melody. And I, I think so many artists, I think Drake knows, you know, you look even like a joint, like nonstop, like the minute you press on that, Drake could be rapping far less potently on the song. And it's still got that, that hit effect. You know, Kendrick has done a great job of these beats that just grab you. I don't know that J. Cole has to that extent, but what I think is, and that's not a detractor, it brings greater attention to what he has to say. Um, you know, especially when you're like you and I are today, when you're, you're five or six listens in, um, there's just a potency there. And that's, I know trap beats are supposed to be, you know, very captivating and, and kind of like vibe out to, but when J. Cole takes them on, um, somehow I kind of tune the beat out more and go more to what he has to say. I don't know why. Yeah, his voice is, is just uh, piercing. It could also be the the mixing. You know, he he, uh, he may mix his voice a little bit higher too. Um, you know, so the next one is Pride is the Devil. And for me, this is where the albums start to lose a little steam. You know, um, we talked a bit uh, when we broke down the Buster Rhymes album, Extinction Level Event 2. And the excitement I had for that album was like listening to a no hitter, like the equivalent of watching a no hitter unfold where, you know, every song keeps going and you, you think, is this the one where there's going to be like a, a lapse? And then there's another one, you know, and another one. And this album um, is where I started to say, okay, um, I, I don't think I, I can call it a classic. Um, um, and, you know, I'm losing a little interest here. Um, but, you know, I think what it has going for it, at least for me, is that it, again, continues to show the diversity and the range that he has. Um, he's, you know, playing with melody once again, um, you know, continues the themes of struggling financially and having scary encounters in the streets. Like, you know, I guess it was kind of more of the same for me. Uh, and then also uh, the little baby feature, you know, I like little baby what he has to say thematically a lot of times that he's another dude who keeps it like super super real and has a really interesting perspective but the melodic flow that he uses uh often just kind of loses me a little bit and so uh, that lost me a little bit too but what was your take on it yeah i agree with you on the little baby you know and i saw you know on twitter this morning a lot of people were really saying that little baby might have you know outperformed j cole lyrically on this song i didn't feel that way Little Baby is an artist that I see a lot of folks go very, very hard for. Even in this moment, it didn't, it didn't grab me that way. Um, but that's something that could evolve over time. 21 Savage, a lot, you know, that was a moment of instant, like, recognition and a click for me. Um, to the song itself, J. Cole does a thing throughout this album where he used these, like, repetitive themes, like, almost as a, as a tool of poetry, where you know, three or four bars will be the same to drive a point home. And I believe that, you know, Pride is the Devil would be like the illest slam poetry song with no beat. You know, where I think it loses its luster is Cole singing on the chorus or, you know, melodically 
doing what he does, which to be fair, with the exception of KOD, which I found that he did that very well, I was never a fan. Even on Cool World, the album in 2011, when J. Cole would service his own choruses with that, you know, and, and mind you, I was very resistant to that trend in hip hop at the time. It really, really, really was a detractor on that album for me. Um, but I listened to this, I listened to the, 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 the content of what he's saying, and you take away the chorus, you take away the beat, and I think it's hard as nails. Um, you know, this is definitely one of the songs, though, between my opinion on the, on the little baby feature and cool that I want to see if it grows with me, because I do agree with you just on the lean back experience. This is where things start to hit a little bit of, you know, not even turbulence, but it's not the captivating ride that the album starts out. I do want to ask you a question, though. You know, there's other personnel like Cam, Little John, Boss, et cetera, on the album, but the verses from 21 and little baby um we had to listen to the album to learn that you know at, at midnight when i pressed play i didn't know that they were there there was no wikipedia page for the album yet do you think it's an exciting experience for the listener to discover that features are there or is it kind of a, a little bit of a a knock to not include these guys on the track list especially when you know on kod cole credited himself as kill edward on the feature you know and and got a lot of hubbub about that yeah, I don't see it as a knock at all. I, I see it as a, a, a major plus. You know, I think he knows that there's such anticipation about him and such expectation that he's not going to fe- be a feature that it, it actually heightens it. And to your point, I think it really does. It is a nice surprise um, for a couple of reasons. One, that he even has features. But two, when you see something, it's like listening, it's like seeing a, a mixtape and, and seeing the track list. And if it's all songs you've heard, you assume you know what it's going to sound like, but when you actually listen to it, it often plays very differently. And so I think that when people see features, they go on with expectations of what the song is going to sound like. And it comes out often very different. And so it allows you to go on with no expectations. So I, I really like that part. Uh, I like the fact that he did that. That's a great answer. And I feel you because you and I both listen to a lot of hip hop radio, you know, just when we're in our cars and stuff like that. And I love when I'm listening to a song and I hear a feature and I have to look at who it is because that means their words stuck to me more than their profile. And kind of, I mean, one of the most exciting trends in concerts over the last you know, 15 years is the surprise guest. And both 21 Savage and Little Baby are, are, are stars slash superstars. So I have to imagine, especially to a generation that really holds these two guys in the highest, to hear them pop out on this song that's that's crazy i know for me last year with king's disease to hear dre kick those few little bars on the firm reunion was a welcome surprise so i feel you for all the reasons you said and the other thing is that you know in this world of digital copies instead of physical it wouldn't surprise me if in a couple weeks couple months a new version of the track list surfaced with the features you know yeah i mean even at midnight i don't know about you on i listened on spotify i could only get the edited version and at first, you know, here I am like, oh, man, like, like, like Cole's pulling a method man and, and doing away with swear words, although he did swear and just dubbed them out. But by when I got up early this morning, I saw that both versions were online. I saw that, um, you know, he even Spotify apparently went down for a minute at midnight because that demand was that high. And I believe KOD broke the streaming records for a second. So, um, you know, again, for a guy who feels underrated proof is in the pudding man people love this guy 
Absolutely. And so the next song is Let Go My Hand. And I think that for you and me both, this is the best song on the album, at least lyrically and substantively. You know, I, I got to go back and continue to listen to the beats because sonically there's a bunch of bangers on here for me. But if, if this isn't the best one for me, it's definitely one of the best ones. And so I'm, I'm going to hit you with something that I saw in Questlove's Masterclass and see, and, and see what your thought is on this. So Questlove talks about the classic mistake that kind of like inexperienced DJs make, which is that they go in and they just want to play banger after banger after banger. Like the next one is just hyper than the next. And like, you know, never, ever do you go down. So the problem is that, you know, the first couple of times you do that, it's like, cool, great. Oh man, this is dope. Oh, that's my song. After like fifth or sixth song, it's like, oh, cool. You know, that's great. That's great. You kind of lose the excitement, you know, because the crowd adjusts to it. And so you have to actually do it roller coaster like and like have ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows in order to accentuate times when you really want something to hit. So with that in mind, given that, you know, Pride is the Devil was the dip, do you think that that was intentional in the sequencing to set up what a lot of people might think would, is the record of the album? Man, I like that theory a lot, you know. Um... I hope we get the answer to it. You know, yeah, okay. I, I, I support that because J. Cool is certainly a student of others, but you know, he's very, very smart. And yeah, I mean, often if I'm, I'm thinking, you know, about neighbors, I'm thinking about fire squad, a lot of his great songs, if I'm not mistaken, the songs that I gravitate towards the most are usually that two thirds, you know, the right when the right when the climax is of the movie too. Like, so I feel you. And this song, like, actually speaks to what you and I talked about at the top of this, this, this discussion, which is that, you know, hot takes are overrated. You know, um, we don't like doing them because I personally believe that it often takes not just multiple listens, but time mm -hmm. for your ear to readjust and hear things differently than what your mind would, would may have expected. You know, again, going back to that features thing, when your mind expects something, it doesn't allow it to be heard the, for what it is. And so um, I think over time, and I always use the J-Rock Wynn example, songs will, and albums will open up differently to you. So, you know, I think that you and I, while we've done a lot of diligence, might have even some different takes on this album going forward. Cole talks about that directly in this song. Um, you know, uh, you know, it talks about, a society that favors instant gratification and hot takes. And he says, sometimes I question whether this shit matters, putting substance into something in the world so used to instant gratification. I found this instrumental on my phone while on vacation. I sent it a year or so ago. Uh, I probably heard it before, but slept on it, you know? Shit don't always connect as soon as you press play. And that's his manager that sent it, yeah. Yeah, so he, so, so he had this beat and he didn't feel it. And then he raps on it a year or so later, and here we are talking about it as potentially the best record on the album. I just thought that was so dope and just so shows how brilliant he is at assessing things and conveying it with words, almost Chappelle-like. Yeah, I mean, to me, I love that this is a criticism of culture and just where we are as listeners, but also of himself. 
Um, it reminded me a lot of Little Brother with, you know, track three is dope, track six is hot, and their whole kind of mantra with the listening. Um, and yeah, and it also is a reminder that everything in its own time. I mean, you know, Cole heard something in this song, in this, in this beat when he heard it, that compelled him, that wasn't there when he first did. And we can all, you know, every one of us, there's something that we love that when we first were exposed to it, we didn't. And conversely, something that meant the world to us at a time that we fall out of love with and only to maybe come back to it again. I think this song is, 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 is the flame and yawn of the album. I think in many ways, this record is about what made J. Cole great, what we're talking about, you know, that three albums in of letting go of the hand. And for him, you know, I think the hand was kind of maybe to Jay, even though Jay was very laissez-faire with, with J. Cole um, by a lot of accounts, you know, he stopped trying to, appease the people that he felt he needed to appease and went off on his own made his own way in the world yet the title comes from him being a father and knowing that he has to do that with his son and at the same time you know j cole came in the game super polite super student of the game all of these things and he probably says the most controversial thing in his career which has been out there lurking for a while which is that i think in 2014 he had a brief altercation with Puff Daddy at supposedly at a VMA after party. And, you know, whereas controversies linger on all A-list albums, for Cole to say this here and talk about, you know, standing up for himself against one of the most powerful people in music, somebody he certainly looks up to, um, it, it to me is a coming of age story, which J. Cole has thrived in telling those from losing virginity to you know, family dynamics to all of these things, but this one just nails it. And it's a song unlike any that we've heard before from him. Yeah, you know, Scrappy refers to what Puff happened in 2013. Oh, 13? Uh, and it was after the VMAs. And the, 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 the story goes that Puff was walking in the club. He saw Kendrick Lamar. And it was shortly after Kendrick had done his control verse and Puff had taken issue with Kendrick referring to himself as the king of New York. So Puff supposedly was going to try to spill his drink on Kendrick. Cole saw it and intervened, and him and Puff and their crews got into it. Now, a year later, Puff also uh, allegedly uh, got into a scrap with Drake, where he punched Drake and allegedly punched Drake in the face three times, and Drake um, rapped about that on... um, 6 a.m. in Calabasas. Uh, 6 a.m. in Calabasas, right. Uh, One of our biggest posts. Um, You know, so um, you got the actual rappers verifying this. So, you know, at this point, Puff has now was trying to mix it up with Kendrick and ended up mixing it up with Cole and Drake, the three guys. You think that's coincidence or you think, uh, you know, Puff was, you know, kind of, you know, seeing what was going on and not so happy about the displacement of a generation? You know, I, I love just just speculating it. I mean, Puff is legendarily gangster. You know, I mean, Puff went on Drink Champs and said that immediately after the Source Awards, he stepped up to Suge and was like, yo, are you talking about me? And Suge said Jermaine Dupree, which, uh, you know, that's that's one account. But I, I love that. And I know that Puff can get in his bag at moments. Um, for J. Cole to say this. Yeah, I mean, I do think it happened. And I do think that at that time in 2013, um, you know, Puff is a mogul, he's an artist, and he's watching some new guys in hip hop put their feet up on his couch. 
not to say that hip hop is his couch, but you know, he was, you know, one of the, the last 20 years, you know, a, a forefather. And um, yeah, I believe there were tensions there and I don't think they exist now. And even I read in billboard, um, and they didn't, you know, lay out a quote or anything. But I mean, this is this is old news to J. Cole and Puff. But I love the fact that J. Cole uses it as an illustration of, damn, I used to look up to you and now we have conflict, which also means I've reached a place where I can literally have a physical altercation with, you know, one of the wealthiest people in culture, period. Yeah. And he also has lines on here about his actual son and his son telling him, you know, you know, he's going to let go of his hand, uh, you know, at that time and how he has to do it. Um, but he also has to be intentional about raising his son to be tough. And, you know, again, he talks about some of the things that, that, that scared him. So it's an interesting juxtaposition uh, against some of the things that, um, you know, maybe he encountered in his life that he's trying to uh, change with his son so um, yeah just a really deep record on a lot of different levels yeah it's just you know like I said Cole has rapped about coming of age for years but to do it as a father to do it as an artist to do it as just a, a student and as a citizen of the world I think that this is just such a great song you know? and it's not even that long it's, it's crazy how much you packed into like three minutes and change you know and I, I I like what you said too, because this is my favorite song of the album. This is my song of the week, but it's so interesting that it's not my favorite beat. I'll go on record. I, I, I would say right now upon my first listen, I give it up to apply pressure, which is a song that Cole on the beat tip just made on made himself. Um, but this is the song that I just keep coming back to. There's so many quotables. And also, you know, one of the messages I love is that you have to take time off to live life which is an interesting distinction when you mentioned the Pharrell thing and J. Cole in his documentary said like, look, this one, this album, I did the studio in the house. Cause even if I take 10 hours a day and I step away from the wife and kids, I at least know that they're there. And if emergency happens or I just take solace in knowing that they're there. So he's built boundaries, but there's also a boundary on the other side. You stay diligent, but you also have to live life. You can't be in this, you know, 24 seven be rapidly rapping about rap especially at 36 years old with a family and if you create those boundaries it's only going to make you better so you have to let go of that too which is i think something you and i can relate to as content creators absolutely absolutely so the next song is interlude and we talked about this a little last week you know both of us were i think a little lukewarm on the song um the beat and and even the the flow I really like the substance of it, and we'll get into that in a second. But I also said that we should wait to listen to it within the context of the album because sometimes yeah. it presents it differently. And I've experienced that in the past. Um, you know, a good example is actually Kendrick's Swimming Pool. I, I, I did not love the recipe because, you know, it was, it, it sounded like, you know, hearing Drake rap, you know, to Kendrick's cadence was weird to me. And, it was very different than, you know, the dark kind of like moody music that Kendrick had put out on, um, on um, you know, Section 80. Uh, but then Swimming Pools came out, and I really liked that much better. But when I heard it in the context of the album, it took it to a completely different level. So um, with that in mind, with Interlude, when I, I actually like it better in the context of the album. I can't say that I love it. And it, uh, it's, it's not my least favorite song, but it's definitely not one of my favorites. 
but I did like it sonically more and it fit more sonically with it. But what was your take? I agree with everything you just said from the Kendrick example on down. It's funny, you know, I appreciated this record more in the context of the album. And it's funny too, that this and the climb back come back to back. Cause I get to this point in the album and it's like these two joints had a head start. Like they sounded familiar to me, like a sample does. And I knew them and I knew certain words of them, but not well enough where it's like your song comes on in the club, like to use your Questlove masterclass example. Um, so yeah, I, I don't love it. It's not my joint of the album. I am still perplexed that J. Cole shared this. Like, you know, the formula would have been to, you know, go with something that's gonna, you know, even drum up excitement more. And, and certainly the, the freestyle this week was I think the greatest promotional device J. Cole used for this album apart from the announcement. But it was funny, it was interesting to give somebody two minutes of music last Friday when the world did not get new Kendrick Lamar. Um, and it was just a reminder that J. Cole was coming. So clearly he takes a lot of, um, you know, he puts a lot of stake in what he has to say on this, but it, it defies record industry logic beyond belief to me. Yes, I mean, you would ask why this came out first, um, you know, um, at least in the cycle. I got a theory on that, too. I think a lot of times it's, it's, it's pretty textbook that people kind of release a warm-up single to start. People come into a new album with huge expectations. And no matter how good the song is, you're never going to meet that expectation. So the philosophy is you release something that is, you know, same reason like why DJ will start like a, a club set with like, you know, classics and old soul joints and stuff like that. You got to kind of ease people into it and warm them up. And I think interlude was that for Cole. It was something that, you know, didn't have too much pressure and would kind of reset expectations and maybe even lower expectations so that when they actually heard the album, you could like, you know, kind of surpass those expectations again. But I will say that, again, thematically, and what he's discussing about black on black crime and, and stuff like that, and you know the the deaths that we're bringing on ourselves, it's a really important record, um, especially given the times and um, for Cole and everything he stands for from an activist standpoint. Uh, I'm glad that it's on the album, even though it's not my favorite. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I do too. I think you know, in retrospect, I, I've really warmed up to the beat a lot. I love, you know, I just enjoy that kind of vocal sample production. I think it's a T minus joint. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. J. Cole forever keeps people guessing. And I often find that when, you know, I mean, there's certainly exceptions, but how many three and a half out of five albums have had the best song release as the first single only to kind of drop the listener off when the whole body of work gets there. And you know, that is not what this is. Yeah. So now next is the climb back. You've talked about this a lot as being the first single. I don't really, I don't consider this to be the first single from the album. You know, it, it came as part of what I think was a four pack with, you know, Lion King and like um, Snow on the Bluff and I think one other track. Um, yeah. And it was released at the time, I think, intentionally as just kind of like a holdover EP, like what you know, Drake has done, what Corday just did. So I think it was very, it was meant to be its own independent body of work. And it was part of that, um, you know, and, but I'm curious then if that's the case as to why he included it on this album. It does fit sonically, you know, to your point about like, you know, 
interlude and in, in the transition. I think that whole that whole like three song uh, sequence from "Let Go of My Hand" to interlude to the climb back is very sonically cohesive. Um, but I'm curious as to why he would have um, released it so soon. I wonder if he meant to release this album sooner and pushed it back because of maybe COVID or something else. And it, it was intentionally meant to be a lead single or if, you know, he listened to it again and liked it, but you know, there's something, there's something that seems a little bit strange to me, but yeah. So thought? I do from the apply pressure documentary, J Cole said that middle child, you know, one of his huge records since KOD, I think probably the biggest. And you would agree with me on that. Yeah. Um, you know, he intended for that to be on the fall off, but he's reached a place where he doesn't want great music to sit. He wants, he wants the ability to push the button and let, let it resonate. And, you know, I look at this as that, um, you and I spent a little bit of time last year, you know, talking about the climb back as we were developing, you know, this podcast. Um, but I feel like Cole had a song, he wanted to share it, he put it out and it worked in the form of that pack worked on its own and now you know we get to see where it lives within this body of work which i'm sure was a living breathing thing at the time and you know i don't i don't want to speak for cool as to why this song why at the time but i think that's such an interesting liberty that artists in 2021 have you know kanye went back and and tweaked the end of life of pablo but that you can put out a single have it considered on its own or, or in a pack and i don't think people look at packs as you know, it's kind of like a dump of like, yo, here's some songs only to come to find out that it fits in with this other message. And, and maybe that had been happening in the, you know, 50s, 60s and 70s when there were 45s and, and singles operated differently. But I think it just gives the artist the opportunity if something should be enjoyed and appreciated right now, boom, you can do that. But that doesn't mean it's not part of something else. It's just a it's a cool license. So I, I, I like that theory. And so I, I'd ask you then, um, if that's the case, would you have any problems with middle child showing up on the fall off whenever it comes, comes out? No, I mean, I think that's kind of dope. And, and that song to me, the sentiment, you know, didn't seem evergreen. But now that we have this album, I think that that sentiment is evergreen. Like Cole still feels like, yo, you know, where you know, you're, you're overlooking me and all the symbolism in the video and all of that. No, I think that's a, I think that's, I think that's really cool. Would you be upset? No, nah, not at all. I mean, I think a lot of times it's really convenient for at least people who still listen to albums and, and don't just let an algorithm serve it up to them or, you know, have playlists to have songs of that magnitude and a body of work that you're going to listen to regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times the singles, you know, uh, are dope to have but they get kind of lost in the shuffle at least for me because you know um i've got the afh playlist which, which we keep updated and but i don't make too many other playlists and so a lot of times those one-offs i'll listen to a couple times and, and they'll just kind of vanish into the ether but having it on the album like you know keeps it in a repository for me so i, I don't mind that at all yeah same page so uh next up you know as, as cool winds down the album with the last two songs is close um what did you think of that one you know like hold my uh, let go of my hand it's another one of the deepest records on the album you know this whole like second half you know i think we both agree that the energy um definitely goes down several levels from the first half which is 
um, you know, more turn up and that's probably intentional, but the heavier themes come out on the second half. And I think that's part of the reason why he took it down sonically in terms of tempo and feel. This is a really mournful song about a friend of his uh, that he lost uh, in gun violence. And, you know, he details it uh, in pretty vivid terms. You know, so um, I have no doubt that it's a true story. You know, it, it doesn't seem to me like something that's written, you know, third person as a fiction. It seems like something that's really happened to him. And then again, it's a, it's another instance where we see how his life fared very differently than others who he's in close contact with. You know, he wasn't a street dude, but he had friends who were street dudes and, you know, their lives went very differently than his. And, um, you know, Kendrick Lamar talks a lot on uh, To Pimp a Butterfly about that kind of survivor's guilt that occurs when you succeed and you still got your friends back in the hood. And, you know, I think this is his version of that. But what, what was your thought? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting that hip hop's at a time, you know, and, and Cole and Kendrick are great examples of this, of people that are unafraid to be who they are and say that, look, I'm not a tough guy. I'm not a dope dealer. I'm not this. But I know the consequences at a first person level. Um, I mean, it just says a lot about where hip hop is at, where rap music is at, and just where we are as people. Um, so often I find that, you know, people know somebody who's been through anything like pick something and you know somebody by periphery you know one one or two degrees of separation from whatever it is and Cole tells a story and he tells it with a lot of heart and it's it's a it's a sad you know outcome the other thing about this song that stuck with me is you know you spoke about cadences earlier um you know in different flows this song Cole keeps the same cadence for like four and six bars you know and then he'll switch it's like and he's doing it during a really personal song. This isn't the record that's designed to show you what a clever rapper he is. But even in, even in doing this thing, he still makes it challenging for him, himself, you know, of still like, let me hold your attention as I give you some game, but I'm going to do it so that your ear recognizes that this is more than just an ABAB format, which I just thought was so interesting. I mean, again, it's, it's you got to put points on the board, but you got to play the game with art and your game has to evolve. And um, yeah, I just, there, there's no throwaways anywhere to be found on here technically, or, um, you know, certainly not in content either. Yeah. You know, I agree with that. He, I, I'd say this is by far the most straightforward J Cole song. Like when people think of J Cole, it's what they expect. It's a soulful sample, um, you know, no melody on, 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 on the flow cadences, what we've heard a lot over the years, um, but he keeps it interesting with the tricks you just described and with, with the content. So yeah, real interesting way to, um, to kind of like start to wind down the album. So the, uh, the grand finale, Hunger on Hillside. Um, yeah, it. so for this one, I, I think that it ties the album together, um, you know, kind of across the board. Um, you know, he starts off, it's a down-tempo song, but he starts off with a melodic flow in verse one. Um, and then verse two, he takes the melody off and, and, the, and the effect of the singing and goes like more straightforward. And then he sings on the hook. So he yeah. literally puts all of his kind of sonic styles together in one track. And then thematically, it touches on many of the things that uh, recur throughout the album. You know, so he talks about being underrated. He talks about the pressures of fame and what that can bring. And he talks about 
he's cocky and you know self-assured like he's been throughout but at the same time he also shows his insecurities and vulnerabilities and concerns that he might not be able to make it to the next level and you know he's still chasing dollars and dreams at the end of the day and so i think it's a really nice way to close um thematically yeah i mean i thought the song you know has this duality of success and stress and clearly this is a guy who loves hip-hop but he's a bit you know jaded with how his blood sweat and tears have been received but at the same time you know financially and and just you know he's certainly done very well so there's he's at this crossroads it's a really interesting way to make an out al- to end an album and when you watch the documentary or you read the slam cover story it all makes sense you know where his headspace is at and cole never gives away too much but you you understand it and i i thought that it's you know it's like the end of a of a season on a show you love where you're not 100 percent sure you know what the next season is going to look like is it going to come back is it not but you're hanging on the edge of your seat and you're certainly satisfied with what you've just consumed, what you've just appreciated. And I thought it was, it was a very fitting way to close it down. Yeah. So with that said, where, how would you rank J Cole's catalog? And where would you, and where would you put it, put this album? This album's definitely top three for me. Um, I still think, 2014 Forest Hills Drive is his magnum opus right now. But I say that after five and a half listens of this album, um, where it's still very much wet paint in my ears. Um, I think KOD is brilliant. I have to say that in the last three years or two, three years, wow. um, It's not an album. Like I don't wake up on a Tuesday. I'm like, I'm gonna listen to KOD today. But I think it's a body of work to remember these times and remember you know, Kill Our Demons, you know, King Overdose, like, I, that album has resonance to me. So this is somewhere between number two and number three, and that will present itself. But I am sure at this point that that it doesn't, it's not 2014. And, and part of that too is, and I'll, I'll say this as a caveat, where somebody makes their greatest evolutionary steps, it's always going to be, you know, like when they you know surprise you to that level that's always going to stand for something and i knew with great certainty that i would not be disappointed when i press play on this but that's a that's a long answer to a short question what about you you know as usual you and i um are on the same page but reading from different sections you know what i mean um i'm totally with you top three um for me though i would put kod number one and I just uh, listened to it again uh, in full uh, about a week or so ago when I found out this was dropping because I wanted to, you know, just kind of refamiliarize myself with his latest body of work. And that album, you know, just the themes that it had, the cohesiveness of the themes, the you know, notion of addiction to, you know, the different things we can be addicted to, sex, drugs, um, you know, uh, fame, like all those wealth, all those things. In that year, when we lost Mac Miller and you know uh, yeah, a couple of other people to to oh Lil Pete, you know and um, you know I thought it was just so timely and pertinent. And even like songs like 1985, where you got him, you know, acknowledging that he's becoming an OG, but still like you know uh, giving a little smoke to the younger dudes. I thought that that album, and then sonically, you know, where he took it, it's the fir- his first foray away from 
the straightforward cold sound into you know beats that some were produced by others and but very much um of the moment i thought that album was phenomenal in terms of growth for j cole this one to me builds on that but doesn't have the same kind of like gigantic leap that that one did i'll put 2014 forest hills drive second and you know for all the reasons we discussed that's when he had his real artistic break through and you know moved away from what was expected to him to what he wanted to do um, and I will put this one third. And then after that, I, I'd go um, For Your Eyes Only, which has some joints on it. Neighbors, I know it's probably controversial. Um, Fold and Close, I, I love that song. And then I would probably go um, Born Center and probably put Cold World as last. So um, that, that that's how the catalog stacks up for me. Yeah, I like, you know, we really are just about you know, uh, ranking, and we really have like one critical difference. The the rest of the uh, the six, I agree with, and honestly, I think that Che Cole, in terms of Cool World, I think that he's in a position, not unlike Mob Deep or you know uh, Naughty by Nature with their with their first album under another name, where you know he he really came back on the second album and introduced himself. I think that his first album, uh, you know, just isn't one that you get a good reflection. I think you get that from mixtapes. So anyway, I, uh, I dig this work a lot. Where do you think it stands in terms of the year? Of the year, I think it's the best album, rap album of the year so far. Like, I, I don't see anything competing with it so far. But, you know, I, I wonder how it's going to last, um, you know, if we do get records from Travis Scott, from Kendrick, from Drake. And then I also yeah. wonder, you know, this is what you and I talked about when Buster Rhymes dropped when he did. You know, he wasn't eligible for the Grammys this year. He would be for next year. But a lot of times when you do it early in the cycle like that, you get lost in the sauce. And even though I think that ELE2 is a better album than this, so if we're going Grammy years, I think this is probably number two. But, you know, chronological years, this is number one. Calendar years, this is number one. Um, uh, I wonder how this is going to impact Buster Rhymes too. Yeah, you read my mind. I, I, I really wonder that as well, because, you know, the uh, Grammys for, as we've discussed, have often been very reactionary and kind of apologized to their icons. And, you know, we ran an article with the headline that they snubbed J. Cole. We weren't the only one with that sentiment. Um, so yeah, it makes me wonder. And, and it's interesting. I think the last time you and I spoke about the best album to date this year, and, you know, it's, it's May, but was with Benny. And whereas Benny is somebody who comes out multiple times a year, the three years that J. Cole sat back, I do like that, that school of thought. Consistency and frequency is nice, but when you don't hear somebody apart from five or six Lucys, you appreciate what they have to say a lot more. And I agree with you. I think this is the best album, uh, you know, to come out in 2021 that I've heard. Where So, um, Salute to Cole, stays consistent, been doing it for 12 plus years now, um, got three, four albums that if not classics are like phenomenal bodies of work. Um, you know, arguably, I think he's got more better albums than Drake, less than Kendrick. Mm. Uh, so, you know, he's fully in, you know, Wisconsin, that crowd, and, you know, uh, he wants his damn respect too. Word. So um, to just cap it off with a basketball reference. Um, 
Another thing that happened um, this week, which made is made made phenomenal, is that LL Cool J and Jay Z were induct are going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. For Jay, it's his first bid, which is you know to be expected for an MC that a lot of people, including myself, consider to be the goat. Um, for LL, the self-proclaimed goat, the first self-proclaimed goat. This is like his fifth or sixth try. And it's absurd to me that it took this long for LL Cool J to get in when you already got Public Enemy and NWA and, you know... Um, Grandmaster Flash, the Pierce Five. five. Yeah. No, no shade to them at all, but the impact that LL Cool J has had and for yeah. as long as he had it, to become rap's first bona fide like, superstar, solo superstar, it's, it's absurd to me that LL was not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame sooner. But props to them for finally getting it right, and uh, you know that was that was really exciting to me. But but what, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I like this. I like the fact that it was you know these two guys together. Um, that's that's interesting. There's a lot of history there. We've spoken about it. You know, Jay became the head of Def Jam at a time when LL was kind of figuring things out, and I think you know L spoken. There was a little bit of tension there, um, but it also is a year where there's going to be a performance again, unless something drastic changes in Cleveland in October. And last year, you and I saw each other, you know, around the time there was documentaries that were really dope that they did on all the artists, but there wasn't a performance. And Jay-Z and LL Cool J are two top tier performers today. So I think that hip hop will get a really dope chance to, uh, to rock on. And also, I mean, Gil Scott Heron, you know, RIP, um, was inducted Kraftwerk, you know, the, the, the pioneers of the baseline to Planet Rock were inducted, Tina Turner, um, you know, and it's a really interesting year too. But um, I saw a lot of publications either talk about LL getting in or Jay-Z getting in. I thought it was dope that they both get in. And I wholeheartedly agree with you that LL should have been in there, you know, years ago, but I'm glad that he's got his chance. Yeah, so keeping it on the Hall of Fame tip, Basketball Hall of Fame is coming up um, soon. Uh, actually, will will be um, this weekend. Um, you know, the night that, that that this goes live. But Kobe Bryant, um, obviously, you know, his first uh, chance of being in the Hall of Fame, and he will will be in. And Michael Jordan is presenting for him. Uh, I read an article recently on ESPN which said that it always would have been Mike. It should have been Mike. Um, Kobe patterned his entire game, his mannerisms, his speech everything after Mike and that's who he was chasing the whole time. And so, um, and, and they were friends, you know, um, they texted regularly. MJ got his last text from Kobe, like, um, two months before he died. And he was talking, uh, very honestly about the fact that he doesn't know if he's going to be able to maintain his composure when doing the speech, you know, um, he's had memes about himself crying. He's cried on the last dance. He's cried during Kobe's eulogy and, and, and laughed at himself for that. So I would be surprised, actually, if he doesn't cry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it's really dope to see, you know, a guy who is, you know, the GOAT of his sport, presenting it to his little brother, basically, and, um, and, and the symbolism behind that. Wholeheartedly agree. And I think there will be a lot of people probably crying in their living rooms, too, with that one. Yeah. So speaking of posthumous awards, um, there's a victory lap coming up May 28th. You want to talk about that? Yeah, DMX's Exodus album, which um, 
you and I reported, you know, was going to be coming this summer, uh, you know, May 28th. I think that might be Memorial Day weekend to kick summer off. It's coming out on Def Jam. It's all new music from their press release. And of course, Swizz Beats is, is overseeing it. But, you know, um, just to catch people up, you know, in, in his, you know, final interviews last year and this year um, with Drink Champs and Talib Kweli and some other places, you know, DMX had said that, you know, it includes Snoop Dogg and Lil Wayne and Scarface and Usher, Alicia Keys. You know, there's a song that's near and dear to both you and I that, uh, you know, um, Swizz premiered back in February of 2017. That's him, Jay-Z, Nas and Jadakiss, which I would love if we get. Um, and Pop Smoke, you know, another another rapper gone too soon that was very much giving New York a present identity. I'm sorry if my dog is making noise. Um, but yeah, this will be a very big album and it's obviously very bittersweet, tragic, but I think this will be an event and that's what DMX deserves. Um, so I'm eager for it. Yeah, man. Coming up. Yeah, I think it's going to be a gigantic event and I, I look forward to us unpacking that album too. You know, I hope it's as good as Swiss Beats has promised over the years. He's had multiple appearances over the last probably five years where he's talked about how great the music is that he and DMX have been making. So I hope that it you know, sends him off in uh, the grand style that he deserves. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. But, you know, I'm glad also that it has a concrete release date. Because yeah. a lot of times you hear that, like we've been hearing about the Fife album for years now. Um, so I'm glad that this one is coming you know, like in a relatively short amount of time. And the name Exodus is just so powerful. Um, you know, there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, and Swizz, you know, you and I spent time in our last episode talking about posthumous albums, and Swizz has succeeded in that, definitely with Tupac. Um, I want to say he worked on Born Again, but Swizz can, uh, he can, he can do that. And the guests there, I was driving today, I'm in Pittsburgh, and I saw a Mexican restaurant, and they, on their sign, said, Mex's going to give it to you. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's playful, but I like that even a restaurant on a busy road, to me, I read it as a tribute to, to Earl. And um, I think this album will be an event. And I hope there's songs on there that continue to play through the summer. So Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So we talked a lot about Nas in the context of Jay-Z, but there was somebody else talking about Nas too recently. Yeah, I, uh, I tuned into the recent episode of Drink Champs. Um, MC Search from Third Base, he's always been good to me. Um, I wanted to see what he had to say, especially with EFN and Nori's questioning and, and two takeaways that I thought were really interesting that I hadn't heard him say anywhere else. They asked him, of course, about Jay-Z's, um, you know, Searchlight publishing line. And, you know, Search said he was very transparent. And he said, look, you know, I had when I heard, uh, you know, live at the barbecue, I had I had to seek Nas out. I offered him representation Search talked him out of a deal at Atlantic Big Beat, shopped him to Def Jam. Russell wasn't feeling it and then found a home uh, with Faith Newman at Columbia and history was made. But he said, you know, people think that, you know, that predatory thing of like, I sign you to my production company, thus I make all this money on you for the rest of my life. Search said he has a 5% administrative fee on Nas's publishing for Illmatic and it was written and that was it. And then it was written, I don't even think he has a credit on the back of the album. Um, he said, that's, that's customary. It could have been a lot more, but I offered this kid the best. And I think Nas was like 17 or 16 years old when he signed the deal. 
And Search had even said that at one point Def Jam overpaid him um, mistakenly for some money that was supposed to go, I think, to Nas. And for years, he didn't see another dime out of it. And that he and Nas are still on great terms. I know you don't often see Nas, you know, speak about Search, but I just thought that that was interesting. Um, you know, and, and uh, just ask real quick, the interesting thing about that, too, is um, at the time when Jay was saying it, it was on Dead President. You know, uh, it was because of Dead Presidents, which, which I know you're going to get into, which is about money. Um, and it was a diss because your publishing back then was basically the your lifeblood as an artist. You didn't make money on the record necessarily. You made money on touring, but, you know, the thing that continued once you stopped touring was your publishing. And if you think about Nas now, that money is so negligible compared yeah. to the money he's made as an investor, especially you know, with the most recent coin, Coinbase exit, where he's rumored to have made between 40 and $200 million. So it's just interesting how time has a way of sorting things out. Yeah. That's such a great point. And, and Search even said, you know, um, and, and this is, again, just one person's account. But when Big Beat Atlantic was interested in Nas and they had some great A&Rs, I believe Stretch Armstrong was one of them. Uh, Rob Reef Tulo was another. The deal did not offer Nas his publishing. And one of the sticking points for Search as Nas's advocate, according to Search, was that Nas gets to keep his publishing. And he signed the deal at Columbia. And apparently on like the same day, at least the same week, he went and signed Nas a publishing deal at Zamba, the publishing division of Jive Records, which... I got to say, you know, I'm, I'm a liner notes junkie. I never realized that they had, you know, handled Nas's early publishing, but he said, look, I made Nas enough money to, to buy his mother a house with those two deals. And he said that basically the week that Illmatic dropped, um, of course, didn't go platinum until years later, but the deal that they had created to keep the budget lean where, you know, there's, there weren't, you know, crazy videos and things like that. Um, According to Search, Nas became a millionaire the week the album dropped. You know, I'm sure he didn't see that money until six months, a year out, whatever, you know, the flow is. I highly, highly doubt that. Yeah. It was 1994. No one was giving out million-dollar deals back then. Plus, you know, even if the video costs were down, you got DJ Premier and Lord Finesse. I mean, sorry. um, Pete Rock and Q-Tip. Pete Rock and uh, Large Professor and, you know. Uh, so you got you got a, a decent budget on the actual like recording side, um, you know. I, and so you recoup all those. There's no way to yeah. be a millionaire that week. Yeah. <laughs> no way. But you know. But it sounds good. It certainly sounds good on Drink Champs. Uh, right. Search, you know, wasn't partaking in that. Um, but you know, one thing I will say about Search, and again, he's always been good to me. But you know, it was him that had made a question about. Um, I think Leor Cohen suggesting that search right for Rakim and there was huge pushback. We covered the story on AFH and Pete nice, you know, Search's rhyme partner and third base has come out a number of times and said, look, this guy gets a little bit carried away with the story. So the millionaire part, I don't know, but I was listening and I was certainly entertained. The other thing that I thought was interesting from that conversation, which I encourage anyone to watch um, search is really interesting. And he's, he's doing really cool things with nfts right now and hip-hop ogs like big daddy kane um that are paying and compensating kane you know accordingly but he spoke about one of my favorite mcs in addition to nas oc and searchlight the production company had oc and nas at the same time and he just said how much he regrets you know 
OC's trajectory given his talent, you know, and you look at 1994, Illmatic comes out and Word Life comes out. But whereas Nas operated at Columbia, OC was at Wild Pitch, which was a great company, you know, in terms of its catalog, but on its way out within two, three, four years later, they would be closed. And, um, you know, and just you take a talent like, oh, and search admitted that he wished he would have found a better better home for him and uh you know i just thought that was really cool and then oc went on you know ig and and really um affirmed that statement and just said the love that he had for search over these years yeah it's crazy man his um those two albums word life and jewels or you know one two like devastating knockout punch for me i just mm. And I don't think that the second album is spoken about nearly enough. You know, Time's Up, the song is the one that people go back to the most, but that whole album was brilliant. And I think Jules stands just next, right next to it. So yeah, man, it's really interesting to see who makes it and who doesn't. Like, you know, most of the time it's not determined right. purely by talent. There's a lot of chance. Yeah, I feel that. So um, anything else of note this week that, that caught your attention? Nah, man, those are the, the, the big things for me. I mean, um, you know, there's the, the button um, controversy, but, you know, we've celebrated them uh, for a number of years, um, you know, and the moves they've made. Um, so, um, you know, I won't get into like anything that is perceived as tearing them down, but I, I wish all of those dudes luck. I've worked extensively with Joe in the past and I've gotten to know Rory and Maul. I think they're both good dudes and, you know, I wish them all success and hope that, you know, at some point they can reconnect. Yeah, I will support whatever those guys do. I've gotten to know Joe over the years and and Parks. I want to give a shout out because he's been one of AFH's biggest supporters and he and Joe, you know, at least for the now are going to continue doing whatever. And I'm going to, you know, tune in and what Rory and Maul do next. I'm I'm here for as well. I respect all those voices and uh, yeah, you know, so I, I feel you on that. What's your, um, what's your song of the week, man? My song of the week is J. Cole's L.A. Leakers Freestyle over um, at 93 Till Infinity and Still Tipping. Like, I mean, I thought Cole went berserk. He's got two bests of the year so far. He's got the best album of the year so far. And he's got the best freestyle of the year so far. And I just think he blacked out. So that's my song of the week. Two great beats, too. I mean, 93 to Infinity is one of my five favorite hip-hop beats of all time. But I got to tell you, man, sometimes I forget that's still tipping beat man that's that's a great that's a great track um and it was a preview too because tell us about the south and he flexed two completely different flows you know so it was a great setup i said it earlier in the pod but uh same artist but let go of my hand that that song is just heavy rotation for me and uh right now it's my favorite song from the best album so far 2021 all right Oh, it's a pleasure, man. Uh, it was great to be in Cold World this week and, you know, look forward to it. Absolutely, more. man. Yo, have a good weekend.